this was meant to be a message, a message on the power of Christ. Uh, however, this is going to be two messages uh, this Sunday and next Sunday on the power of Christ because when you're talking about something that is omnipotent, uh, it takes a while. It takes a while. When you're talking about something that has and possesses all of the power that there is, it takes a while to explain the significance in our lives and the significance throughout history. Today, I want to look at the power of God, and I also want to look at the strength that he has to overcome and, and see us through, build us through various fears that we have. And we're going to conclude this morning with something very exciting. Uh, I won't uh, ruin it. We'll talk about it at the end. Uh, but something that's very exciting for this church, and I know that you'll agree with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you that you are all-powerful. Father, we thank you that you are good. All that power and all that goodness. I thank you, Father, that we can pray to you, that we can talk to you, that you can be a part, that you are a part of our lives in this midst. Father, we ask that you help us to reflect upon our own lives to put our trust in Jesus today. In his name we pray, amen. Every year on day four or night four of VBS, we talk about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time in Egypt a lot of time in the life of, of Joseph, but every year we want to make sure that we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The uh, Egyptians worshipped the sun. Uh, they worshipped a lot of gods. There's a number of different, different gods, but they worshipped the, the sun as a god. It was worshipped as the deity Ra. And we know that the sun is not a god. Uh, but we do also know that the sun is pretty powerful. In fact, there is tremendous power in the sun. It's hard for us to even comprehend some of the things that the sun is doing. The large, the size of the sun. You can fit over 3 million planet Earths inside of the sun. And the sun is one of the smaller stars that there is. And this is pretty incredible. There's a lot of power. I tell you, if you're going to worship a false god, might as well be that one, right? I mean, that's a pretty powerful sun. I find it interesting that ultimately, years later, after Joseph, Moses will come along and God will cause darkness to fall over the whole land of Egypt. In fact, Exodus says it's a darkness that can be felt. Putting all of this foolishness of worshiping the sun to rest. You see, the problem is the Egyptians were putting their trust in, and they were giving their worship to the wrong son. The wrong son. So what about you? Who is your protector? Hmm? Who or what is your provider? From where do you gain your power or your strength or your purpose? Where do you gain your courage? What is the source of your joy or your hope, or your peace? What about the source of your identity? This is who I am. This is what I am. What about the source of your contentment? I, I, we see throughout Scripture, but 
hopefully you begin to see in your own life, I've certainly seen this in my life, that if all of this comes from you or if all of this comes from me, we're certainly putting our trust in the wrong son. We're worshiping the wrong son. We've seen that God loves us no matter what. We've seen that he is with us everywhere we go, whether in the palace or in the prison. We've seen that God is in charge. He's in control of all of his creation, all we see and all we know. But if he's going to make those kind of claims, we need to ask, does he have the power to back those things up? Does he have the power to forgive sin? Does he have the power to grant eternal life? Does Jesus have the power to carry us through life? And what does the Bible say about it? Usually these things revolve around things that scare us. That's when these questions come up. How strong is God? How powerful is God? How honest is God? The things that scare us, the things that we worry about. And I would suggest that if you're tempted to worry and give in to that temptation, let's face it, we've all done that at one point or another. I suspect it is one or more of these fear of failure, fear of failure. Fear of being judged. What about fear of loss? Losing loved ones, losing identity, losing control. Fear of loss. That's a big one, by the way. Fear of time. Fear of time. Not enough time. What about fear of who you really are? When really put to the test, this is why we avoid self-examination, fear of who you really are. Here's a big one, fear of what's next. Fear of what's next. Tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, after death, fear of what's next. And of course, that goes along with another fear that people have, and that is fear of death. Fear of death. You do some study on your own, you will find that these are the primary fears. These are crippling fears of our culture and cultures around the world. All of these things begin to work upon our hearts and our minds. And, and just briefly, before we get into scripture, I want to look at Joseph. I want to look at Joseph. Let's talk about fear of failure. We've seen Joseph. We've been following a little bit along the life of Joseph. Fear of failure. Joseph was dad's favorite son. His brothers hated him. He became a slave. He hatched a plan with the cupbearer to get out of prison, and that didn't work. Later on in life, he was told to run the nation and save it from famine. You think he was never tempted to have a fear of failure, worry about failure? What about fear of being judged? This judgment comes from friends and family, ironically, even strangers. Joseph, again, falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown in prison. The people who did this to him did not know the whole story, and if they did know the whole story, they didn't believe him. Essentially, Joseph's reputation, for whatever it was, is completely destroyed. Again, later in life, Joseph, a Hebrew slave, is appointed by Pharaoh to save the nation. 
So let's look at this realistically. How many people thought or even said, if you're an Egyptian citizen, really? Really? You're going to put a Hebrew slave in charge of our country? What's his experience? What are his qualifications? Let's see how well he really does. Fear of being judged. What about fear of loss? Fear of the loss of your identity. This is who I am. I know that I am this and I'm comfortable with it. Joseph, a Hebrew and great-grandson of Abraham, is forced from his homeland and inheritance and then forced to live in Egypt as a slave. He's forced to live there in a foreign land for at least 20 years and then his family's going to show up and they're going to settle in this foreign land. Separated from his culture, separated from his family, separated from his home, separated from his heritage, separated from all that he thought he knew about himself. What about fear of losing control? Once again, we go back to the fact that Joseph is a slave. No control whatsoever. At least in the things happening around him and the life happening around him. His life is completely in the hands of others. His future is in the hands of others. He's then put in charge of a prestigious home and loses that position through no fault of his own. Then he's thrown in prison with no chance to defend himself. You talk about fear of losing control. He cannot even appeal to Pharaoh on his own. What about fear of the loss of the known? It's not fear of the unknown. Uh, Epistemologists will tell you that's, that's really not possible to fear the unknown. We say that a lot, but that's not a... Technically, that's not a real thing. But fear of the loss of the known. You may experience these things in your life, changes that happen to your family, your job, your culture, your environment. Human beings tend to go back to what is familiar over what is different, even if what is different is better. Joseph, once again, living, moving, and operating in a foreign land, in a foreign country, as a foreigner. This is not the Hebrew culture. This is not the stories of his ancestors, nor the home of his youth and teen years. Put it this way. This is a whole new way of existing for Joseph. Fear the loss of the known. Fear of time. Time is moving too quickly, or we never seem to have enough time. Joseph was denied his freedom for 13 years of his life. That's a large chunk. 13 years he's in prison or enslaved. That's a large chunk of life. Time is slipping away. He did gain his freedom eventually. But what did he gain when he gained his freedom? He gained the fact that a famine was on the way and he had only seven years to prepare the entire nation to support itself and the world through this famine. At 30 years old, by the way. That's not having enough time. That's not having enough time. Fear of who you really are. This is related to losing your identity. What if I do examine myself? What if I really am tested? Or maybe I've accomplished something or been granted something. Do I even deserve this? Or can I even handle the test? Or will it all come crashing, crashing down? When I'm truly tested, think about this. Again, this 13-year slave propositioned by a beautiful woman. Joseph, let's see who you really are. Later, he's given the keys to the greatest kingdom on earth at the age of 30. Let's see who you really are and told to save it from destruction. Let's see if you can handle it. Fear of what's next. 
Anticipation and fear of the battles to come. Fear of your personal kingdom coming crashing down. Worry, fret. Imagine being sold and dragged off to a foreign land, a slave. Imagine being thrown in prison with no trial for who knows how long. Imagine being commanded to save the nation. And if Joseph said no, let's face it, he's probably going back into prison. Fear of what's next. What's tomorrow? And finally, fear of death. I don't want to die because I don't know what will happen. I don't want to die. I want to live on. Am I going to live on or am I going to blink out of existence or am I going to face damnation? I don't know what will be next for my kids or my spouse or my loved ones if I'm not around. Once again, this accused person accused of rape of the wife of the captain of the guard, he saw and was aware that Pharaoh already executed his once trusted baker and Joseph is a Hebrew slave. Death and the question of what's next is certainly on the menu in Joseph's mind all the time. I want to address a few of these. See what the Bible says about these and the power of God in our lives. First of all, I want to go with fear of loss because this is big. This is one of the things that we consider and we think about. It changes our moods. It changes our attitudes. It changes how we're going to act and react tomorrow. Fear of loss. Whether it's a loss of a thing or loss of a position or loss of a title or loss of a job or loss of a house or loss of a relationship or loss of yourself. Fear of loss. Let me key in on a secret that you already know is true. All right? This is a fundamental truth of the universe in which we occupy. And that is this. I cannot lose what I don't possess. I cannot lose what I don't possess. Colossians chapter 3. I cannot lose what I don't possess. Think about it. That's like the repo man or the bank coming to your neighbor's house and taking the house, taking the house back. And then they walk across the lawn to yours and they say, hey, by the way, we just wanted to let you know you lost this house across the way. We're going to stand there looking pretty confused for a moment. I'm sorry, we, we, we repossess it. It's to pay a debt. We've repossessed your neighbor's house. You've lost it. I don't own it. I think you're talking to the wrong guy. That's not mine. I don't possess it. I'm sad that they lost it. I've, be, I've used it. I've been over there for dinner. But I don't own it. Church, you cannot lose what you don't possess. It's an impossibility in this life. The question then that we wrestled with last week and I want to wrestle with this week is, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? You cannot lose what you don't possess. What does Jesus tell us? Anyone who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Anyone who wants to try to possess it is going to lose it. But anyone who loses their life for my sake will save it, will have it, will find it. You can't lose what you don't possess. What's our life? Is it just the fact that we're breathing in and out? Is it just the, fact, the, the beat of our heart? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about everything. 
that encompasses your life, that makes up your life. You can't lose what you don't have. It can be used for different things. Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Look at verse 3. You died. What, what is this fear of loss? Let me ask you, have you given your life to Christ? What is the fear of loss? Do you believe the words of Scripture? Paul says you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. That's protected with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What about loss of our identity? Let me tell you something about your identity. Ephesians chapter 1, talking about Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. Listen to verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, God's possession to the praise of his glory. You're afraid of losing your identity? You're afraid of losing who you are? You don't own that either. Who are you? Once you hear the gospel and accept the gospel, you have given yourself to God. You are God's possession. You're a son. You're his daughter. I don't care if you're in a palace or in the prison. I don't care if you're a prince or a pauper. Doesn't make me any difference. You can't lose who you are. You can't lose what you are. Loss of identity. You ever go to a party and people say, well, what do you do? Well, I do this, I do that. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, and what happened? I do this, I do this. But sometimes people don't say that. They don't say, I do this. They say, I am this, right? I am this, I am that, talking about their job. What are you when that's gone? If that's what you are, what happens when that's taken away? That's, yeah, it gets taken away eventually from everybody. It's not what you are. It's what you do, but it's not what you are. Your identity cannot be taken from you because of the power of Jesus Christ who protects your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, by the way, there's a place in Scripture where Paul says, I have found the secret to contentment. I have found the secret to having joy in all situations. I have found the secret to courage. I have found the secret to strength. I have found the secret to peace. 
First Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples? First of all, you're a temple. That's the meeting place of God and man. Your identity, the meeting place of God and man, that's you. First of all, your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Look at this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Fear of loss? Fear of losing your identity? What's this secret Paul's talking about? Paul knows this. You are not your own. Your life was bought at a price. Everything about your life was bought at a price. The power of God controls, it keeps, he sanctifies, he secures your life. You cannot lose it. Whatever it is in your life, you cannot lose what you don't possess. And you certainly can't lose your identity. Romans chapter 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I know there's a lot of people in here who have kids. And I know you love them. And I know, right? You'd rather fight a grill in a phone booth than get between you and your kids. You are children of God. That's your identity. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, talking about our identity, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, we are co-heirs with Christ. What, what does Christ have? What does Christ own? What does Christ receive? Christ receives the keys of the eternal kingdom. What's your identity? You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. That's what we are when we give our lives to Jesus. Fear of the loss of your identity. Fear of losing control. Last week we found out that God's in control anyway. Man plans his way, but God establishes his steps. God allows or does not allow. Why does this cause us such unrest? Why does this cause us such consternation? Because we don't listen to Paul when he says, your life's not your own. It was bought at a price. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember, the conversation that God had with Job, when you fear losing control, Job, God confronts me, says, Job, where were you when I established the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Who by worrying, Jesus says, can add a single hour to his life? It is by grace you have been saved, Paul writes, and not by work so that no man can boast. Fear of losing control. What control? You can't lose what you don't have. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul was addressing some of his own accomplishments, 
Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. That's a loss of the control in his life. Three times I pleaded to the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the secret that Paul says. Then I've learned to be content in all situations. What about fear of the loss of the known? You probably go through that every day of your life. There's something there that you like, you know, you like it the way it is, and this is, this is the way it's always been, or you think this is the way it's always been, and tomorrow it's different. Let me tell you what you knew. What you knew, what we knew, was death. That's what we knew. That's what you know before Jesus. Death. Bondage. Slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to death, slavery to a fallen world. Slavery to never even having the proper picture of reality. That's what you knew. That's what I knew. What we knew was destruction. What we knew was separation. What we are, what we are is ushered into life and ushered into hope. The old is dead and gone, the new is here. Yes, I get it. The world may change around you. It's going to change around you. Your home, your life, this culture is going to change. It's going to be different tomorrow than it is today. Get used to it. It's going to happen. But what you are is a son and daughter of the king. If you've given your life to Jesus, Joseph's world completely turned upside down. And it may be your family, job, culture, health. Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, we've talked about this before, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. Look at verse 8. When you're thinking of fear of the loss of the known. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What fear? What fear? After all, your identity is in Jesus Christ. Your life is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What are you afraid of? What about fear of failure? Hmm? Fear of failure. Getting it wrong, making a mistake, not measuring up. Let me ask you this. Do you even know what failure is? Hmm? What is failure? What is success? Thomas Edison is famous for saying, uh, you know, all the tries of finding a light bulb. He says, look, I never failed. I just found 99 ways not to make a light bulb. Never failed once. Let me ask you this. When you're talking about failure, 
you're talking about failure in your life, or you're talking about failure in a job, or you're talking about failure in responsibility, you're talking about failure when it comes to your home, your family, when it comes to failure, when you're talking about this life that you have been granted to be a good steward of, let me ask you this, was Joseph a failure when he was in prison? He's a prisoner and a slave. Was he a failure? He has faced something, he's in the middle of something that most, most have never experienced and never will. He's the lowest you can possibly be. Is he a failure while he's in prison? Hmm? No job, no land, no freedom, no reputation, no spouse, no kids. Was Joseph a failure? I hope you're thinking no. That's where I'm going with this. And why? Because through all of that, he remained faithful to God. He obeyed God in all things. He wasn't a failure. We know he wasn't a failure. As you reflect upon your own life, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Was Jesus a failure? Hmm? Jesus didn't even own what I own. Was he a failure? His family were fugitives on the run early in life. He had no spouse, no kids. He had no home. He was supported in his ministry by some wealthy women from Luke chapter 8. He was hated by more people than, than liked him. And still is. He was killed for what he said. Was Jesus a failure? Paul was a rising star and gave up everything. And went often with nothing. Nothing. Was Paul a failure? What about Peter? Even making mistakes, filled with mistakes in his life. David, estranged from his family, and yet even Jesus takes on the title, son of David. His family ran out on him, wanted to kill him. What about Moses? Wasn't able to see the promised land, constantly arguing back and forth with a stiff-necked people. Was Moses a failure? Job was called by God a righteous man, my servant, my champion. And Job lost everything. Was Job a failure? Are you afraid of failure in your own life? Do you even know what failure is? Do you even know what success is? None of these people were failures. They weren't failures because they completed the mission. They weren't failures because they remained faithful in the sight of God regardless of where they happened to be planted in the moment. What's the mission? When you're looking at success and failure in your life, when you're looking at success and failure in your home, your family, as you're training up your kids, what is success? What is failure? What's the mission? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, written by Solomon, the wisest man to ever live near the end of his life. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that is the full duty of mankind. What does Paul say? 
in 2 Timothy 4. I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. He didn't own any of it. He gave up everything. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Listen to this, this confidence. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, I think sometimes we feel fa fear failure because we don't even know what failure and success is. There's a bigger game at play. There's a bigger life at play. There's a bigger mission at play, at work. Our job is to remain faithful in all things. Our job is to honor Christ with the life that he owns, that we can't lose. You see, this is the power of the word of God in our lives. This is the strength of Christ in our lives as he lays it out in scripture. Fear of this, I got an answer for it, says Jesus. Fear of that, I got an answer for that one, says Jesus. You're scared of this, you're worrying about that, you're fretting about these things. Jesus says, I'm stronger than all of it. I told you these things so that you will have peace, so that you will have joy. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, says Jesus in John chapter 16, I have overcome the world. This is my power, says Christ. You need not fear anything if you give your life over to me. Yes, People will fail at various tasks. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I've got a lot of experience there. They will make mistakes all the time in various battles. You will too. But what about the entire campaign? People often fail to recognize true failure. They do not fail where and how or when they think they do. But think about what true failure is and think about the fact that you can give your life to Jesus. You don't have to fail at all, ever again in your life, ever. That's what Jesus gives to you. That's the power of Christ. That is recognizing what Paul says that brings us peace to your life. My life is not my own. It's already secured eternally with Christ. What is there to fear from this power of God? John addresses difficulties, potential fears in his disciples' life. He reminds them of who he really is. He reminds them of his mission. He reminds them of who they are. And then he reminds them that I, says Jesus, have taken over the world. I encourage you to be here next week because we have not yet seen the mightiest power that Jesus has. We've made in these lessons, we've made in the words some pretty bold claims. Show me you have the power and authority for such claims, we say to Jesus. Show me a sign, that generation cried. Jesus says you will receive a sign 
just one. And that sign will mean everything about the power I have in this creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you, Father, for incredible power, incredible strength. The fact that you have the ability to overcome every fear in our life. Father, I ask today that you will open our eyes as you have been opening mine. That we will believe your word. That we will truly understand that once our life is given to you, it cannot be taken away. No part of it can be taken away. Father, help us to leave this place today with peace. To leave this place with joy. To meditate. Father, help us this week to meditate on my life is not my own. It was bought at a price. My life is not my own. It was bought at a price. Give us the same peace that Paul talks about. Give us the same joy, no matter where we are or what we have or don't have, that we will remember that our life is not our own. We were bought at a wonderful price in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I told you there was something exciting happening at the end of this uh, service. There are uh, two folks, two kids in this church who recognize, they know, they understand that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, that he did what he said he did and does what he says he continues to do, and they have given their life over to Jesus, and we get to experience, we get to celebrate with them in their baptism today. Uh, uh, Mia Aino, and it looks like Hanalt, and uh, Aaron uh, Hughes have given their life to Jesus, and Russ is going to baptize them today. We've been looking forward to this for some time, and been very excited about this week. This week, baptistry broke. Uh, there's actually a leak, uh, not in the baptistry itself, but in some of the plumbing. Uh, somebody tightened a, a nut too tight when they were trying to fix something else. I'll find whoever did that, trust me. So fortunately, though, it's July, right? And we get to share in this and celebrate in this. So what we're going to do at this point, we're going to play a little video as we're leaving. But at this point, we're going to go out into the foyer, go through the doors to the, to the uh, pond, and we're going to experience this and share with this. They're bringing the kids out there right now. The kids are heading out in that direction, so you're going to get to experience and celebrate with this uh, baptism, okay? So you are dismissed. If you want to head out the back, we'll have this great moment.
little bit off script today, and the, the verses that we're going to talk about, they're going to be on your screen, okay? And so today, we're going to talk about a lot of different ones. It's probably, it's probably easier to not flip through all the time, but they're going to be on your screen, uh, but you're welcome to, to flip through the various verses that we look at today. Uh, this was meant to be a message about the power of God, the strength of God. Uh, but this is not going to be a message. This is going to be two messages this week and next week about the power of God. And it has to be that way because we're talking about the most powerful thing that there is. Uh, you, you need more time uh, to talk about the most, most powerful thing that there is. And so we'll actually finish with our VBS series two weeks after VBS, Mark is going to be speaking the Sunday after VBS, and we'll finish the Sunday right after that. Uh, but we're, today we talk about the power of God. On the fourth night of vacation Bible school, just about every year, uh, we talk about the resurrection of Christ and how important that is uh, in our lives and how every Bible story that we read and everything we go through in Scripture, how it all revolves around the resurrection of Christ, how that is the most important thing. That's the, that's the focus. That is the point of the Bible. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time up until this point in Egypt uh, looking at the life of Joseph, and we're going to get back to that. We're going we're gonna to connect all of these things back into the life of Joseph. But today, we look at the power of God. We look at the strength of God and with the omnipotence of God, all power. And while we do that, I want you to ask yourself a question. What do you fear? What do you fear? What do you worry about? What consumes your thoughts and consumes your mind uh, too much sometimes? Because when we look at the power of God, or when we look at the love of God, or when we look at the honesty of God, and we look at the, the knowledge of God, all of these things, we ask ourselves, is God powerful enough? Is God strong enough? Is he honest enough? Is he love me enough? Is he true enough? Usually we're asking those questions in the midst of difficulty, usually in the midst of hardship, usually in the midst of worry. If everything's rolling along our way, we're usually not asking the question, is God strong enough to do this? Is he strong enough to carry me through life? Is he strong enough to, to help in these various situations of life that I struggle with? So I want to ask the question, what do you fear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I ask, Father, that you will help us today to examine our lives, to examine what we believe. I ask, Father, that you will help us to confront that, but more than that, to apply it to our lives to gain this joy and this peace that you want for each of us. Help us to be challenged today, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. The Egyptians in Joseph's day worshipped the sun as a god. You're probably familiar. You've probably heard of things like that in the past. It was worshipped as the deity Ra. Now, we know that the sun is not God or a god, but the sun is pretty powerful. I mean, it's pretty big. There's, it, it's, it's hard to imagine, really, how powerful the sun is. You could fit three million earths inside of the sun. That's pretty big. That's pretty powerful. I mean, don't worship a false god, but if you're going to worship a false god, that's probably a good one to worship. There you go. All right, the sun is pretty big, pretty powerful. 
So they worshipped it as a god. I love the fact that about 400 years after Joseph, Moses comes along and God darkens the sun. He causes darkness to fall all over the land of Egypt in the face of their false god. You know, this, this, this realization, this understanding and this show that, hey, I made the sun and it does what I want, how I want it, the way I want it. He causes, this was their ultimate deity, and he causes darkness to come over the whole land. A darkness that could be felt, says Exodus chapter 10. And they struggled with this. They were gripped with great fear because of these things. The problem was that the Egyptians were putting their trust in and giving their worship to, certainly for our parlance today, in the wrong son. The wrong son. And so as we reflect upon our own lives, I want you to ask yourself, who or what, for that matter, is your protector? Who or what is your provider? And if you're given the right church answer, I want you to ask if you really believe it. Who is your provider? From where do you gain your power? Or from whom do you gain your power or your strength? or your purpose, or your courage? Where are you looking for these things? What is the source of your joy, or your hope, or your identity? What about the source of your contentment in life? What about the source of your peace? If it's you that this is coming from, or if it's me that this is coming from in my life, we are trusting the wrong son. We're looking towards the wrong thing. Yes, an incredible creation and a lot of power in and of itself, but the wrong son. We're worshiping the wrong son. We have seen that God loves us no matter what. We've seen that he is with us everywhere we go, whether it's in the palace or in the prison. We've seen that God is in charge, that he is in control of his creation, and there's nothing in the world that can take that away from God. All we see and all we know, God is in charge of. But does he have the power to back up these claims? Those are pretty bold claims, right? I mean, we've made claims. The word of God makes claims. Does he have the power to do this? Does God have the power to forgive sin? Does he have the power to grant eternal life? Does some other son have the power to carry us through this life? Does he have the power even over death itself? So what scares you? What do you worry about? And I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a few things, and, and I'll have these on our screen next, next week. Okay, we'll cover this again. But if you want this, uh, you're welcome to, uh, to my notes. I'll print out a copy of them for you. There is a temptation to worry, and if we give in to that temptation, I suspect that you worry about one or more of these things. These are large, overarching umbrella things. Ask yourself about this. Fear of failure. You ever worry about that? Fear of failure? You ever scared of that? What about fear of being judged? Fear of being judged. And you don't have to raise your hand, right? Just, just, you ever scared of failure? Scared of being judged by friends, family, and in the most ironic twist in the world, strangers? I don't, but we're even scared of being judged by strangers. I have no idea why. Fear of loss? Loss of stuff, loss of a thing, loss of relationship, loss of a life. Some of those things are our identity or even 
loss of control. Fear of time. Not enough time. Time's passing too quickly. I'm missing out, losing out. There's things I want to do. What about fear of who you really are? It's a bigger fear than most people think. This is why we don't examine ourselves. Paul says examine yourself. Confront it. Fear of who we really are. When we're really put to the test, who's going to be looking back in the mirror? Fear of what's next. This is a huge one, right? This is probably the fear. Fear of what's next. Tomorrow, the next day, 20 years from now, after death, after you die, fear of what's next. And of course, that's certainly related to this last fear, and that is fear of death. Fear of death. Before we get into too much of the meat here, I just want to look at Joseph's life. I want to, I want to connect some of these dots. Let's look at Joseph's life for a minute. I'm just going to go through some of these just to give you an idea of where Joseph is coming from. Fear of failure. Let's just start there. Fear of failure. Joseph was dad's favorite son. Incidentally, I was my dad's favorite son. Just... <laughs> Joseph was dad's favorite son. His brothers hated him. He became a slave. He hatched a plan with the cupbearer to get out of prison, and that didn't work. Later on in life, he was told to run the nation and save it from famine and total destruction. Fear of failure. Everything that temptation went through Joseph's life? Everything that went through his mind and his heart? What about fear of being judged? Again, judgment from friends, family, even strangers. Joseph, again, falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown in prison. The people who did this didn't even know the whole story. And if they did, they didn't believe the whole story. Joseph's reputation before man is destroyed. Again, later in life, we're talking about being judged. Joseph is appointed by Pharaoh to oversee the country. Let's look at this realistically. How many Egyptians do you think uh, said or even thought, really? Really? You're going to put a Hebrew slave in charge of our nation? Oh, we're watching this guy. I can't wait until he falls. What's his experience? What are his qualifications? Can he even measure up? Fear of being judged. What about fear of loss? Do you think there was a temptation here? Loss of our identity. You know, we, we, we care about who we are and what we are. And we care about becoming comfortable with that. Joseph, a Hebrew and great-grandson of Abraham is forced from his homeland and inheritance, then forced to live in Egypt as a slave, and then as an Egyptian for at least 20 years, and then the rest of his family comes to Egypt, and they live there the rest of their lives. You talk about losing one's identity for the rest of his life, separated completely from his culture, his home, and his heritage in a foreign land. What about fear of losing control as we look at fear of loss? Joseph was a Hebrew slave. No control whatsoever. His life and future is completely in the hands of someone else. He is then put in charge of a prestigious home and loses that position through no fault of his own. Then he's thrown in prison with no chance to defend himself. He can't even appeal to Pharaoh. Fear of losing control. What about fear of loss of the known? 
Fear of loss of the known, not so much fear of, uh, of the unknown. Fear of the unknown is really not possible. Uh, Mr. Modulus will tell you that's not really a real thing. We say that a lot, but that, that doesn't actually exist. Uh, we use it a lot. But fear of the loss of the known, and, and you may experience this in your own life, experience when changes happen to your family or your job or your culture or your environment, fear of the loss of the known. Human beings tend to go back to what is familiar over what's different, even if what is different is better. Now, look at Joseph. Joseph is living, moving, and operating as a foreigner in a foreign land. This is not the Hebrew uh, culture of his childhood. These aren't the same stories. This isn't the home of his ancestors. It's not the home of his youth or his teen years. Put it this way. This, for Joseph, is a whole new way of existing. Loss of the known. What about fear of time? Time is moving too quickly or we never have enough time. We never have enough time. Watch this clock all the time. Never have enough time, do we? Joseph was denied freedom for 13 years of his life. 13, that's a chunk. That is a chunk of life. Denied freedom for 13 years. You think those temptations weren't rolling around his head? Fear of time, time's getting away, I'm losing time. 13 years. Time is slipping away. When he did gain his freedom, think about this. A famine was on the way. And he had only seven years to prepare the entire nation to port itself and the world through this famine. God says, you got seven years to do it, pal. Seven years. I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even get started in seven years. I'd have to organize stuff. I'd have to nap. I'd have to get all this stuff that you got to do. Seven years. That's not having enough time. What about fear of who you really are? This is related to losing your identity. What if I do examine myself? What if I really am tested? Or maybe I've accomplished something or been granted something. Do I even deserve this? Or can I even handle that test? Will it come crashing down? Think about this. A slave and a prisoner for 13 years. That's a test of who you really are. Propositioned by a beautiful woman. Joseph, let's see who you really are, right? Later on, he's given the keys to the greatest kingdom on earth at the age of 30. Joseph, let's see who you really are. You want to test a man's character, don't give him little, give him much, right? Given the keys to the most powerful nation on earth, let's see who you really are, Joseph. Given an incredible job of saving that nation plus people around the world, can you handle it? Let's see if you measure up. Fear of what's next. Anticipation and fear of the battles to come. Fear of your personal kingdom coming crashing down. Worry, fret. Imagine Joseph's life being sold and dragged off to a foreign land, a slave. Imagine being thrown in prison with no trial for who knows how long. Imagine being commanded to save the nation. And if Joseph said no, he's going back to prison. It's not as though Pharaoh's just going to keep him in the palace. You talk about worrying about what's next, fear of what's next. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And then finally, fear of death. Again, this is related to fear of what's next. We say this maybe. We think this. I don't want to die because I don't know what will happen. I don't know if I'll live on. I don't know if I'll blink out of existence. I don't know if I'll face damnation. Not only that, I don't know what will happen, what will be next for my kids or my spouse or my loved ones if I'm not around. Once again, Joseph was accused of attempted rape of the wife of the captain of the guard. He saw or was aware that Pharaoh already executed his trusted baker, and Joseph is a Hebrew slave. I guarantee you death and the question of what's next is on the menu every day in Joseph's life. 
These are the same things, the same stuff going on in Joseph's mind and in Joseph's life, the same overarching fears that grip not only our culture, but cultures around the world. Now, there's a lot of details and a lot of specifics underneath of these broad things, but these are the broad areas of fear. So I'm going to look at a few of these. I'm going to look at the power of God and how God is able to overcome, tells us, informs us that he's able to overcome. We get to look at the secret that Paul writes about when he talks about contentment in his life. First one I want to look at is fear of loss. Fear of loss. I want you to write this on your heart. Tattoo it on your heart. All right? I don't care how you do it. I want you to remember this for the rest of your life because in the universe in which we occupy, this is an absolute truth. When we talk about fear of loss, whatever that loss is, fear of loss. You ready? You cannot lose what you don't have. You cannot lose what you don't possess. And I don't care how hard you try to fight that. I don't care how hard you think that 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 doesn't work or that doesn't fit in your life. That is an absolute universal truth that you can't escape. You cannot lose what you don't possess. It's impossible. Be like the repo man going to the neighbor's house, you know. Take him back the house, or take the you old know, bank comes in, takes back the house or car or something to pay a debt. And then the guy walks across the lawn, knocks on my door, and says, Hey, we just want to let you know you, you lost that house over there. What? We, we, we took it. Sir, I don't, uh, <clears throat> I don't own that house. Oh, we know, we know. But you lost it. Okay. You can't lose what you don't possess. So now the question is this. For all of you who profess the name of Jesus, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you? You can't lose what you don't have. You can't lose what you don't own. Have you given your life to Jesus? Bless you. (laughs) What does Jesus say? Those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake, now you're going to find it. Now you're going to keep it. Now you're going to realize that this is yours forever. So when it comes to loss... Because when we talk, it comes to the loss of life, what are we talking about? Are we just talking about the fact that you're breathing in and out and the fact that your heart's beating? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about everything that encompasses your life. Everything that encompasses who you are, what you are, your identity. We're going to talk about loss of that here in a minute. Everything that you are. What does Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God. What's God want? Everything. All of it. I want the whole thing. So the question is, if you're scared of loss... Whatever that loss is, I don't care if it's identity, I don't care if it's this or that, I don't care if it's stuff, I don't don't care what it is, I don't care if it's your own life, have you given your life over to Jesus? And if you have, what are you scared of? I mean, let's face it, I don't want the neighbor to lose his house, but I'm not terrified over it. I don't think that I own that. That's not my possession. Have you given your life over to Jesus? There's a point, there's a moment where Paul writes and he says, I have found the secret. 
In fact, he doesn't reveal what the secret is. He says, I have found the secret to being content in all situations. I have found the secret to having joy in all situations. I have found the secret to having peace no matter what happens to me. We're going to find out what that is in just a moment. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Look at verse 3. Have you accepted Christ? What does verse 3 say? What's the beginning of verse 3? What's it say? For you died. You died. What are you scared to lose? What do you own? What do you own? Nothing. You don't possess anything. What are you afraid to lose? You died, says Paul. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you understand what the power of accepting Christ actually is? This is getting us back to this secret that Paul talks about. Being content in all situations. Having joy in all situations. Having peace no matter what happens to me. He says, look, you died when you gave your life to Christ, and your life is hidden that is protected with Jesus forever. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Many times we accept Christ, we give our life over to Jesus, but we don't accept what the Word says. What about your loss of identity? Let me tell you something about your identity. Ephesians chapter 1. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's your identity. You are sealed, marked with a guarantee that you are God's possession. I don't care where you work. I don't care what job you have or what job you lost. I mean, I care. Okay, I do care. I was in my heart. Is sad sometimes and, and, and happy sometimes with things, okay? But, but that aside, you get my point. You are God's possession. And not only are you God's possession, you're guaranteed to be God's possession. You're given a seal. You're given God himself. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter where your life takes you. You are God's possession. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. There's identity. You know what a temple is? It's where God and man come together. And that's you. That's you. Don't let anybody pretend that you're not that. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're not that. You are where God and man come together. That's your identity. It has nothing to do with where you work. Or the job you have or the job you lost or who you're married to or this, that, and the other. You are a temple, the temple of Jesus Christ. And I love 
what Paul says next, because here's the secret he found to being content in all things. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Do you believe the Bible? Like a lot of times we nod our head yes, but we don't. We don't believe the Bible. And what happens when we don't? We don't get to experience, acknowledge the incredible power of God in this creation. In our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. We don't get to tap into the incredible strength that is God. When we don't believe what he says. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. This is the secret Paul is talking about when he says, I have learned how, I've figured out how to have joy no matter what happens. How to have peace no matter where I find myself. Because I realize that I am not my own, says Paul. I was bought at a price. Something else about your identity, Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, Christ inherits the eternal kingdom of God. What do you suppose your inheritance is if you are co-heirs with Jesus? The eternal kingdom of God. That's what you own. That's what you are. Fear of loss. Fear of loss. Fear of loss of identity. What about fear of losing control? Last week we found out that God is in control. Man plans his way, but God establishes his steps. God allows or does not allow. First Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Two instances that happened just this past week. And because of studying this, because of reading this, I was talking to God. I was praying to God. I said, God, I don't exactly know how all of this works, but I know your word says to do this, so this is what I'm going to do talked to him about anxiety. I talked to him about some things that I was planning, some things other people were planning and that we had to go through. I said, these are my worries. These are my anxieties. These are the things I'm concerning myself with. I'm not going to do this the rest of today. And then tomorrow we're going to talk about this again. That was it. That was it. Experience joy went on the rest of the day, the rest of the day. And hey, look, they saw, they, you know, it, it, it came to a conclusion, a few bumps and bruises along the way, but we got there. Remember, we have to be reminded of this stuff. Remember God's conversation with Job when you fear losing control. Job said, God says, hey, Job, where were you, huh? When I established the heavens and the earth, where were you? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Jesus says, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works so that no man can boast. Fear of losing control 
What control? What control? Tell me, what, what, what control are you scared of losing? Don't we nod our heads when we say God's in control of our lives, of this creation, of this world, and we get to put our, our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ? Don't we say that he is all-powerful? Don't we say that he is all-knowing? Don't we say that he is all-present? What control are you scared of losing? This is where the power of God comes to play in the life of the one who has given themselves over to Jesus. It's exchanged. All of this fear and this dread and this worry is exchanged. I guarantee you it's not all going to turn out the way you want, but who cares if you've given your life over to Jesus Christ? Is he making mistakes? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is Paul addressing some of his own accomplishments. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That's losing control. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. That's losing control. Verse 9, but he said to me, no, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I will boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power will rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I tell people about them. I use them. I I carry them as badges of honor. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the power of Jesus Christ working in your life. What about fear of the loss of the known? What we knew. Let me tell you what you knew. Fear of the loss of what we knew. I'll tell you what you knew. Before Jesus, you knew the same thing I did. You knew death. That's what you knew. You knew hopelessness. That's what you knew before Christ. You knew sin. You knew separation. You knew uncertainty about tomorrow. You knew uncertainty about when you're going to close your eyes. For that. That's what you knew. But what you know now with Jesus is life, is hope. What you know now with Christ is the fact that he wants you, he created you to live a life of joy and a life of peace. Yes, the world is going to change around you. It will happen today. Tomorrow is not going to look the same as today. Guys, just get used to it. It's going to change around you like it did to Joseph. Your family, your job, your culture, your health. But you've given your life to Jesus, haven't you? You've given your life to Jesus. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We've already talked about that. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their way of life. Imitate their faith. Look at verse 8. When you're afraid of losing the known, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've given your life to Jesus, you can't lose what you've known. You can't lose who you are and what you are. If that's where your identity lies, it's impossible for you to lose that. I'm going to wrap this up with fear of failure. Fear of failure. There's, there's the mark. There's the time. I was just told. Fear of failure. Have you ever, you ever had fear of failure? Ever been scared? Been worried about failure? Let's be honest. 
right? Yeah? What is failure? I mean, if we're going to be scared of it, we probably ought to be able to define it. What is failure? What is success? I mean, what's the guy's name? Edison. Edison is famous for saying, you know, I, I never failed trying to figure out how to make a light bulb. I just figured out 99 ways how not to make a light bulb. Let me ask you a When you're thinking about failure in your life, whether it is a task or whether it is your life, as you're reflecting upon your life, okay, what you've accomplished, your friends, family, whatever it may be, all right, failure. Failure is what we're talking about, fear of failure, all right? Let me ask you, while Joseph was in prison, was he a failure? Was he? He was a slave and a prisoner. Just about as low as you can go. Was he a failure? I mean, think about it. He had no job, no land, no freedom, no reputation, no spouse, no kids, no prospects. Was Joseph a failure in prison? From what we know about Joseph in his entire life, was he a failure in prison? I'm going for no here. Um, I hope you know. And why wasn't he a failure? Because through all of that, he remained faithful to God, didn't he? He remained obedient to God, no matter where he was planted. That didn't matter. He remained faithful. Jesus says this. In Matthew chapter 8, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Was Jesus a failure? His family was fugitives on the run earlier in his life. He had no spouse, no kids. He had no home. He had no land. He was supported in ministry by some wealthy women. You read that in Luke chapter 8. He was hated by more people than liked him and still is. He was killed for what he said. Was he a failure? Was Jesus a failure? Of course not. Do you even know what failure and success is if you're afraid of failure? Jesus wasn't a failure. Joseph wasn't a failure. What about Paul? Paul was a rising star and gave up everything and often went with nothing. Was Paul a failure? What about Peter? Was he a failure even in all of his troubles and trials, all the things he didn't do right? What about David? David's own kids wanted to kill him. And yet Jesus himself takes on the title, Son of David. Was David a failure? As you look upon your own life and your own family, was David a failure? Hmm? What about Moses? What about Job? Job was called by God a righteous man, my servant, my champion, and lost everything. Was Job a failure? They weren't failures because they completed the mission. They weren't failures because they completed the mission. They were dead set on completing the mission that they were given by Christ in their life. What's the mission? We get the mission from the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12, written near the end of his life. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commands, for this is the entire duty of mankind. This is the job. Paul says something very similar to it near the end of his life. You've read this before in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, 
and the time of my departure is near. He's about ready to die. What does he talk about? All his major accomplishments, the castles he's built, the businesses he has, all the, the, the pretty women he's dated or whatever it is. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Paul wasn't failing. If you remain faithful to Jesus Christ, I do not care what else happens to you. Failure and success is determined on what you believe and how faithful you are to your creator. That's it. That's it. Stop being afraid of failure. Stop being consumed by these things because this is what it means to have the power of Jesus Christ in your life. There's people that are going to hate you. People are going to love you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Failure and success rests upon your faith in Jesus Christ alone. People are going to fail at tasks. You're going to fail at tasks. If you want to know how to fail at a task, just ask me. All right? I'll walk you through that process. I'm a professional when it comes to failing at tasks. People make mistakes all the time in various battles. I get it. But what about the whole campaign that you're looking at? You see, people often fail to recognize true failure. They don't fail where or how or when they think they do. And if failure, if success is honoring Christ with your life, no matter the little victories and little, that doesn't matter, little victories and so forth, Honoring Christ with your life. Think about this. You never have to fail again, ever. 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 From here on out. You're going to have highs and lows. Get it. You're going to stumble along the way. I get it. You're going to fail some tasks. That's fine. But you've given your life over to the power of Jesus Christ. You're living this life to honor him. You never once again ever have to fail doesn't matter where you go and what you do. That's the power of Jesus. That's how strong Christ is. That's what he does for us. If we would just open our eyes and understand these things and see them, live them out in our lives. I have learned the secret to being content in all things, having joy, having peace in all things. Jesus says this, I'll close with it. He's talking about the different difficulties that the disciples are going to face. He talks about his own life. He talks about all these struggles. He reminds them of who and what he really is and what his mission is. He reminds them of who they are. And then he says in John chapter 16, Look, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. There's nothing more powerful than Christ. And I'll tell you, Jesus is a lot more powerful than your anxieties, a lot more powerful than your fears, your worries. He's a lot more powerful than anyone, any, anything that anyone else does or says to you or about you. If you embrace what these things are. Remember, all of these people we talked about, uh, so many of them were killed, so many of them were martyred, so many of them were executed, and yet as we look back upon them, we say they were not failures. They were amazing men and women throughout history. I encourage you to be here next week. We haven't even seen the mightiest power that Jesus has. 
we have made, the word is made, the bold claims today. And so we want to, we say to ourselves, show me. Show me that you have the power and authority for such claims. Show me a sign, that generation cried. And Jesus said, you will receive a sign, just one. And that one sign will mean everything. We get to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you, Father, that your love and your goodness is, is together with your power. Father, I hope, I ask, that you will challenge the mind today, that you will challenge the heart as we leave here. I ask, Father, that the truth of your word will not fall on deaf ears, closed eyes, and calloused hearts. I ask, Father, that you will give us a heart of meditation this week, a heart of meditation, that me and the rest of your, your sons and daughters right here will meditate on the fact that we are not our own. We were bought at a price. Help us to meditate upon your word this week to make that who and what we really and truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're not going to sing a song uh, with the band tonight, however, or today, but we are going to listen to our opening song for Vacation Bible School. You're welcome to listen to that as it starts. You ready for that one, Brian? Here we go. And you can listen to this as long as you want. When you're done or as it's going on, you're welcome to leave and you're dismissed. Okay? This gives you an idea of Vacation Bible School. God's love He's in it. 